You're listening to the Forever on the Fly podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Forever on the Fly podcast, your bi-weekly dose of aviation, inspiration, education, and entertainment. My name is Diane Dollar. And I'm Jose. And we're here to get you guys hooked Hooked on on aviation. aviation. What to say, what to say about our next guest. She was the very first African-American female Blackhawk pilot for the North Carolina National Guard. So not only is she a trailblazer, but someone that just exudes her love for aviation and everything that she does. She's the definition of a leader through and through. Not only has she displayed immense courage and leadership commanding and coordinating helicopter rescue missions during multiple catastrophic hurricanes, but when she's not out saving lives and serving our nation, she's bringing her leadership skills home by working as a personal trainer and accountability coach to the masses. We all know being in this industry for long enough that being a pilot puts a strain on relationships. We typically have to uproot our lives every few years, you know, chasing those flight hours. Well, Lindsay puts her master's degree in clinical mental health counseling with a focus on couples and family counseling to work in her new book, Level Your Wings, A Pilot's Guide to Healthy Relationships. She's here to chat about her career in the National Guard, her favorite flying stories, her new book, and stick around until the end of the episode where Lindsay will share her top five relationship nuggets from one aviator to another. Here she is. Captain Lindsay Jeffries Jones. Four of them. I have to know that all helicopters are not the same. All relationships are not the same. You know, the foundation is there, but one has skids, one has wheels. You can't land this one the way you landed the other one. This one. Hey, it's Lindsay Jeffries Jones, and I'm forever on the fly. <laughs> Captain Lindsay Jeffries Jones. I'm so happy to be here. Oh my gosh. You are just meant to be in the spotlight with a name like that. I swear. Oh, thank you. Cool. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy that, I mean, we've been Facebook friends for a while now. <laughs> But I've never actually talked to you. So when I saw your post about your new book coming out and trying to get input mm-hmm. about the um, the cover for it, the, the logo, logo, the logo yeah. for it, yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, she would be perfect to talk to you on oh. here. And just really excited, <laughs> Thank you. really excited to hear your story. And um, yeah, can't can't wait. Awesome. God, thanks for coming on, Senorita. Thank you, muchas gracias. <laughs> <laughs> De nada. California. California. Yo soy de California. Mi papá es de Guadalajara. Guadalajara, uh, okay. Yeah. And my mom's from Guatemala. Guatemala, wow. Right? I just took Spanish in high school and college. And, oh, yeah. and I like to practice it. When I hear an accent, I'm like, oh, ooh, maybe I'm bien, remember something. Bien. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to yeah, do. Yes. Keep up with it. <laughs> I was supposed to be going down to Guatemala next week on a on a flight on a trip, and then they needed one more passenger, and we didn't have room in the plane, oh. so it got canceled. I was like, "Oh, wah, wah. oh no way!" Wow. Yeah, I know that would have been a really nice payday too, and it was like paid wow. vacation to Guatemala. But dang it, <laughs> one yeah. more person. I know they just wanted one more person. So the plane wasn't big enough, but you know, 
more will come, more will come. I'm just putting it out there in the universe. It's going to happen. Just putting it out there, putting it out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how are you? I am wonderful. Um, I'm in Texas right now. What part? I just moved here about two, uh, near Austin. Oh, no way. I'm in Houston. What? My mom yeah. is in Houston. Ah, we're closer than we think. Ah, yeah, no, we're super close. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, my mom and my sister are in Houston, so I go visit them for like the holidays. So oh, no way. I'm excited that you're there now. And I just moved here too. Yeah. And like, yeah, not awesome. too long ago. I keep forgetting how long I've been here for because when I first got here, I had COVID and I had about a month and a half, I think, right? Has month and a half. Yeah, probably something like that. So yeah, still kind okay. of figuring it out, but yeah, people are amazing. The food is amazing. Right now, the weather is good, but I keep hearing horror stories about the summers, so I'm not really looking <laughs> forward to that. Um, but no, so far so good. Like I, I have no complaints. Other other than there not being a lot of nature around here, that was... Yeah, the trees. I know my mom misses the trees of North Carolina. She misses them. Yeah, they have like a some, some good parks, though. So I've been trying to get outside as mm-hmm. much as possible. And well, yeah. Yeah. So are you stationed there? <laughs> no, my husband is stationed here. He's here at, um, at Fort Hood. Oh, okay. oh, really? Yep. So I oh, just cool. moved here in November. Is he also it- a pilot? No, he's an engineer. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's an engineer commander, and and then I'm a pilot. Active duty versus National Guard, two different worlds. Yeah. I've never understood active duty, and he's showing me even more that I never understand it, and I never <laughs> will understand it. I'm so used to the National Guard life. You go in, you fly. I'm the commander. Go do my commander stuff. Go home. Go do whatever else I'm doing. Not active duty. Yeah, that's kind of nice, though. It sounds like a pretty sweet gig. Mm -hmm, It really is. Did you move, like, transition to active duty? Or are you still in the National Guard up in North Carolina? I'm still in North Carolina National Guard, yeah. So I moved state, but I can stay in that North Carolina National Guard. I'm not going to change it just because I don't know where he's going to go next. His next Yeah, yeah, yeah. I changed from North Carolina to Texas and then... You know, to I Georgia, wouldn't. Missouri. I don't want to keep moving. I, was, I wouldn't either. I would. I'd stay. I stay where you're at. <laughs> I love it. I've been in for 16 years, and I'm like, even if I just decide to do 20 years in National Guard, that's yeah. too easy to do in North Carolina. I really like it. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, gosh, where do I start with you, overachiever? <laughs> like you kind of. So much. Like, what? what <laughs> There is so much going on with you. (laughs) I was just like writing and writing and writing. I was like, okay, I I have another question, but what about this? What about that? Fire away. (laughs) Yeah, cool. Um, So you were the first African-American female pilot to fly for the uh, North Carolina National Guard. So Mm -hmm. what an inspiration. That's amazing. Trailblazer. And what um, inspired you to first go into the service um, in the first place and why helicopters? What made you want to be a pilot? Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely um, just, just very interesting, like the way everything turned out because it wasn't something that was in my heart when I was a kid, like I'm going to be a pilot. I'm going to join the army. I never had that deep rooted desire to do from a kid um, or from a young age. I never had that. And so um, 
I knew that I wanted my college paid for. So to answer one question, what motivated me to go in? I was like, oh, the National Guard pays for my college. I'm going to do that. You know, I'm thinking, well, I'm tough. You know, I can do what Army people do part time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> you pay for it now full time. That's a different beast. I'm not with that. And But I always knew that if I was going to do National Guard or do the Army, it was going to be National Guard because for my perspective. Army people traveled and they moved multiple times and they were stationed different places every few years. Mm -hmm. And I knew growing up, struggling with my family, we moved around a lot with different jobs and different um, schools. We moved around a lot. So I knew I didn't want to choose a career that was going to force me to uproot my life um, because they, you know, I'm going to serve at wherever they need me to serve. So I knew that. Um, so what got me joining um, and interested in joining was because of the benefits of getting my college paid for. So that's what got me mm-hmm. introduced to it. I was 17 in 11th grade in high school in Raleigh. I went to Broughton High School. So I'm in Raleigh and I did Air Force Junior ROTC. And that's what got me introduced to aviation, so to speak. But even then, it wasn't like, you can be a pilot. It was never that. It was just, this is ROTC. My mom went to the same high school, and she did ROTC. So we're going to be like mom. So that's kind of how each little thing, when I backtrack it, I'm like, that was critical to getting me to where I was. The simple Mm -hmm. fact that we thought, oh, we're going to just do it because mom did it. No, by doing that, they got me introduced to the Army. They got me introduced to college. They got Mm -hmm. it paid for. Now I'm a pilot. So it literally goes back to all those little things. Um, and then what got me introduced to aviation, interested in doing that, it was um, very specialist. I was like, what do they do? They said, well, they talk to the pilots on the radio. They do their flight pay. They do the flight tracking. They do all the administrative work dealing with aviation. And I'm like, OK, you know, the, the Army's going to teach me. But the key to it was the location was uh, near RDU in North Carolina, near the airport. And I lived in Raleigh and I was going to um, college in UNC Chapel Hill. So the location of it was perfect. I was like, it's right between where I'm going to go to college and right between home. Perfect. So I chose aviation operations specialist based on the location and the duration of training. That's what got me glued into Army aviation. Um, And then I thought once I went to ROTC, because I knew I was going to be an officer, I was like, I'm joining, I'm going to be in charge, telling people what to do. (laughs) So so I joined, did Army ROTC. And when I commissioned, I thought around uh, sophomore year, I thought that I was going to do the same job that I did as enlisted, just on the officer side. So I was like, okay, I'll be an officer, aviation operations specialist. Cool. Cool. They're like, no, you have to choose a new job. I said, oh, okay. Well, what are what jobs are out there? <laughs> I didn't know because I'm like, you already sent me the training to do this. So yeah, why would yeah. you? I was completely oblivious to what would happen as an officer. And so they said, well, you know, there's there's adjutant general, there's logistics, there's chemical, there's um, uh, like infantry, there's aviation, there's they're, they're just naming all these things. And I was like, well, aviation, what's that? Let me, I won't do that since I'm already introduced to a little bit of it. They're like, oh, that means you'll be a pilot. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let's do that then because like it was literally, let's do that. Then. Let's just do like, that. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, like why, why did you become a pilot? Oh, I said, why not? <laughs> like, right, yeah, let's, let's do that. Literally, it was, well, I already know how to talk to pilots on the radio. Sure. I know about their flight pay and their flight tracking, and I'll be in one or two locations. It was either going to be the same unit that I was already in, instead of being in a, the specialist, I'll be a pilot now, or another unit that was closer to Charlotte with the Blackhawks. 
And I was like, well, I know this can be one or two locations that I'm going to be in after I commission. And I'm already familiar with aviation. Why not? Yeah, so, why not? And I, and I also knew that the Army was going to teach me everything I needed to know. But by then I was like, you know, you don't have to have any prior knowledge. They will take you and you will learn it. And if you don't learn it, then you're out, you know, like, mm-hmm. but they're going to help you learn it. So that's literally how I got involved with aviation, wow. literally from the duration of training, the location of training, the why nots of it. And, and when I look back on it, I see that everything was very intentionally planned, like by God, I'm thinking mm-hmm. I'm making these, these, these decisions about my future off of a whim and, and praying about it and thinking about like, okay, I, I, I know I'm going to be an officer. Yeah. I'm not going to be like wrestling between two different careers. If aviation is an option, I'm going to just do that one. So it was just very, I was very, like confident in my decisions, but didn't have to think about it too long. Hey man, that's what lets you know that you're on the right path, right? And Mm -hmm. that is what life is. Just a series of these little events that eventually will lead you where you you need to go. And sometimes you have no idea what that's going to look like at the end. And yeah, it can surprise you. And you're like, whoa, huh? Exactly. That's crazy. Like, who who knew? (laughs) Who knew that all those little things was going to lead to me being here, you know, and, and, but this feels right. It feels like where I'm supposed to be. So what you did was listen to your intuition Mm because, you know, we women got that good intuition. We got it. We got it. (laughs) We got it so good. And the, the trick is just to listen to it and follow those instincts. And so very cool. And, you know, like looking at all of your, your profiles and, and everything like your your passion for aviation shines through everything that you're doing on there. So it's it's really cool that you just by happenstance stumbled upon something that you would be so excited about and also doing an amazing service at the same time. So thank you for your yeah. service and you know serving in the National Guard and everything. Um it's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Senorita. Yeah, That's thank awesome. You. What a crazy story. I know. Why not? Why not? Why what is that not? aviation thing? <laughs> Don't teach me how to do it. Don't teach me. We sure did. How was it when you went through yep. flight school with the Army? Uh, flight school was difficult. Whoo-wee. Oh, it yeah? Was difficult. There were so many different phases mm-hmm. that um, if you look at it as a whole, you're like, whoa, that's what I did. So I have to bring back my, my visors and just focus on what phase am I in right now? I'm learning how to become a basic officer and understand that there's an aviation aspect to it. Okay. Now that I got that, now I'm going to learn how to do dunker and and survive in the water if my helicopter crashes. So now we're doing training where this huge, um, we're in this swimming pool and there's this mechanical arm that looks like it goes straight up and then straight out. So it's an L shape. And then underneath that, um, L shape is a, is a big, uh, square contraption, which mocks, it's just plastic, no knobs or anything, but yeah. it's plastic with two doors and an open windshield. And it's just it's simulating a cockpit. And then they, they give you these goggles to black you out, simulating that you're in the ocean and there's no sun rays. You get in there, um, and they dunk it and then they rotate it upside down. Ooh, and you have to, you have to have your, your actual points, your gravity, your, um, your reference point. Okay, I'm going to grab the handle and I'm going to grab this. You just know how, where to reach, push through that door. If you're able to see, you're able to see which way the bubbles are going. So you know which mm-hmm. way it's up. 
and then you take your oxygen and you 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 don your oxygen and get out of there. So that was a difficult, the scariest moment. Well, not the scariest moment, but one of the scariest moments for me. I'm just like, I gotta act like I'm drowning and then survive a crash. Oh and and I and, you know, and I'm deep in the water with all my gear on, boots and everything, as if I'm about to um if I'm flying and we land in the water. Yeah. So that was that was just one little, little fingernail of a of a training bad that we did in that entire I was there for 15 months. But the entirety of flight school was um, was very stringent. It was lots of yeah. emergency emergency procedures, just learning things and regurgitating them. What did you train wow. in originally? Um, I did the um, the very first aircraft was a TH sixty seven, and so we learned how to do um, basic maneuvers in that. Then we moved to the OH fifty eight Akawa Warrior, and mm-hmm. then from there we moved to the Black Hawk, um, and then. I did that, uh, did the Black Hawk for about seven and a half years when I came back from flight school. And so now I'm in the Lakota. And that one is um, uh, 145, a mm-hmm. year cop. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, so, what's that? The EC, yeah, the EC-145. I mean, it's basically, mm-hmm. that's the workhorse of the industry these days. That's yeah. like what everyone's so, going to. That, exactly. And so being able to do that now, um, I've been doing that one for a year and a half, or oh, actually been coming on two years this June. So yeah, it's a little bit, about yeah. a year and a half. Now. Do you miss but, flying um, the Blackhawk? I do miss it. <laughs> yeah. I do miss it. And, and um, I was talking to my boss most recently and he was like, you know, thinking about where I'm going to go next. And he's like, you know, unless you really want to come back to the Blackhawks. And I have to be realistic. And I'm like, I haven't flown Blackhawk in a year and a half because I've been flying this one every day. I'm like, just keep me in this one, you know, because then I have yeah. to dump all this av- this aviation knowledge because then I won't come back to this one and emergency procedures and everything dealing with that and mm-hmm. then get fresh with the, all the Blackhawk stuff. So I'm just like, we'll just continue my journey with the Lakota. Yeah. But it's bittersweet, though, because I know I really enjoy the Blackhawk. Yeah, yeah. Was there a particular helicopter that you wanted to fly that you haven't flown yet? Ah, uh, no. Black Hawk was my very first choice. Um, yeah, that was it. Now the Chinook, the Chinook is like, I know I would never want to fly the Apache. I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not really. When I'm looking at Army helicopters, I'm not really um, pulled to the to the Apache. Um, but the Chinook seems like that would be kind of cool. Just just big and heavy. Just you know, just taking things, <laughs> just, just slinging things all over. So I um, I would be interested in flying something like that, but I, we don't have any of those in North Carolina, so it isn't realistic right now. Yeah, so that's really cool. I mean, I guess with the National Guard, you you only have to probably go in like once a month. Is it one weekend so, a month? So as an aviator, we usually do um, one flight a week and then one weekend a month okay. because we'll still have all the same aviation requirements as active duty, um, the same hours. So it ends up being like 98 plus simula- simulator time. So we, we have to do all those hours throughout the whole year at a minimum. So if you go in for one flight a week, three hours or so. Um, but now that I've moved to Texas, this is my first, this would be my first month going back to fly besides December, but there's a storm coming in there. So they have to adjust. But, um, uh, so, uh, so my typical, and usually all the other pilots that are local, they'll go in about one day a week because the the mission is still happening Monday through Friday. And so the national guard part-time pilots are coming in, getting their, um, their minimum staying proficient and, and doing their job and, Anytime there's a hurricane, they're put on say active duty. They're going to do search and rescue. 
Um, if we're in the Black Hawk community, we can be moving the, the generals, we can be moving soldiers, we can be working with Fort Bragg. And there's just there's a lot of things that you can do during the week um, where the traditional National Guard soldier will come in that one weekend out the month and do their job as the aviators and um, the operators and mechanics are going to come in a little bit more often. Okay. Do you do a lot of cross training at Fort Bragg as well? Um, no, no, not no. much. You said like two. Yeah, with Fort Bragg uh, in North Carolina. Do you like cross train with the 82nd at all or like no. 18th Airborne Corps? No, not much. The only type of interactions that I, we had with them was that we would do their um, help them on their final task during their um, during their infantry training. Like they may get dropped off. They're doing all these things and it's a culminating event. And in this last event to make, allow them to pass their their um, their course. It calls for them to be out in the wilderness, you know, of Fort Bragg and somewhere in the woods for so many hours, so many days, and then call an aircraft in at the appropriate grid coordinate and then, then get in the helicopter. And then we'll go over to this this uh, this area that may be built up, simulated uh, uh, simulated city, drop them mm-hmm. off, drop the ropes out, do the fast ropes out, and then we'll fly away. So that'll be like our little part. But it's their culminating event. But for us, it's like, hey, we're going in to go fly for three hours. What are we doing? Oh, we're doing this for them. And so we'll go and do that. Mm -hmm. Got it. Oh, that makes sense. That's pretty cool. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. it's really cool. You know, one interesting thing was um, when I was a junior. Yeah, I was a junior in college. Or was that a sophomore? I think I was a sophomore. And it was before my junior year. That summer, I did um, air assault at Fort Benning. And aerosol is um, basically repelling out of the helicopter. The helicopter is at a hover. They drop the ropes off and you're bounding. But instead of bounding off of a wall, you're just bounding off of the air and you're just, you know, you're just sliding down the rope essentially to the ground. Now, when I did that training, I didn't know that I was going to do aviation at that time. I didn't know that that was an option, but um, because I think I was still thinking I was going to do my same job, (laughs) but the helicopter that we repelled out of was from North Carolina. Um, the Black Hawk came down and had this big old seal on the front and it said North Carolina and it had like a Wright Brothers aircraft. And I was like, hey, that's my helicopter. But saying that's my helicopter and then actually going into that unit and flying that helicopter, I'm just like, ah, that was a foreshadowing that I had no idea. I was like, wow. no way. Held out of this helicopter before I knew I was going to be a pilot in the same helicopter, flying that same exact one. It was wow. surreal when I looked back on it. But um, but those are some of the missions that we would do um, as a Black Hawk pilot in North Carolina. We would do those types of missions, but not necessarily lots of one-on-one training. Mm-hmm. Um, I know as a medevac commander, that was my previous command. I would send my um, my medics up, and they would do some different trainings. Um, and I know they they were training uh, the dogs. Um, and um, allowing the dogs to ride on the helicopter, you know, like getting them used to that noise and everything mm-hmm. going around. So we was they were doing a lot of work with them. Oh, cute. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I, I want to hear more yeah. National Guard stories, like mm-hmm. or something that was particularly challenging or oh, most, yeah. most memorable rescue. I don't know. You, you yeah, can, I'm sure so you I haven't. During the during the past, we had like Hurricane Dorian and I think it was Floyd. We had uh, two or three hurricanes while I was in the medevac command and I was on the ground literally commanding. And I was, at those moments, I was like, dang, because I'm the commander. I don't get to fly the missions. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> so in that moment, it, it literally drew the line of like, 
Um, it doesn't mean I don't get to fly it, but at that moment I saw that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And I became a commissioned officer because you have two types of pilots in the army. You'll have warrant officers who are the subject matter experts on whatever they're doing. And so if they're a warrant officer um, pilot, then they're going to be the subject matter expert on maintenance or safety or um, tactical operations or any of those spe- specialties within aviation, they're going to know the ins and outs of that. They may be an instructor pilot or a standardization, and they're going to know that that's their job. But because I'm a commissioned, and that goes from second lieutenant all the way up to general, our main job is to lead. And then whatever else our sec, like our branches, that's what we do secondary. And so my main job is to lead and command, but I'm also a pilot. And so um, this was one of those moments when that came, um, came second oh yeah, I'm getting on the schedule to fly. They're like, no man, we need you. We need you as the air liaison working with all of the other personnel that don't fly so that they know how to use these assets. And I'm like, oh, Oh. you're right. If they don't know how many people we can fit in the Blackhawk, they don't know we can sling someone. They don't know the capabilities and they're just guessing. They need a pilot in there that's current and active and knows the logistics of it and it can help them with command and control to do that. So those are the things that that I would do during the hurricane. So I haven't done any of the medevac uh, search and rescue and those missions, but I'm there like, okay, 911. It was it was mind blowing because it turned in it turned from like army mission to um, Department of Safety, like for the, the DPS, literally working mm-hmm. with the 911, and they're like, hey. This person is stranded on the roof. Who can we send? Can it be ground? Can they get reached by boat? Okay, send it to the ground. It has to be from air, send it to the air boss. And then in that air search, then you're looking at all aviation assets. If mm. the Marines were there, if the, if the Army was there, if the FEMA was there, if um, even Duke Energy flying, all the other aviation assets is what's going to be managed from that one area because you need someone knowing what's in the air in this critical time. So those are the, the types of jobs that I did during that. And I'm just like, and when I see my little tail number come up, I'm like, oh, that's my guy in the air. You know, like that's my bird going to go save somebody. And I'm oh, like, cool. I can see it from my level of who's assigned to those missions. And I'm like, y'all are, y'all are kicking butt out there. Right. You know, you deliver all that water, that big old pallet of water. You know, you're pushing your duty limit. So you're, you got the extended, so you're good. But I'm just like texting them, all right, you let me know if you need to come off this. I can pull you off, you know, like, <laughs> help, let me know. I'm going to make sure you, you're right, you know, so. So those were the most um, fulfilling missions without me actually mm-hmm. flying, but they're needing my uh, my knowledge on aviation. Yeah, yeah. And you look at your guys like go little rock star. Go, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> get that water, pick them up. You That's know? amazing. Oh my god, I'd want you to be my commander. Right? Oh, I'd be like, you. Hey, like my, be like my guy, I'm like a cheerleader over here, like. <laughs> no, but that's a that like I think your personality fits that leadership though because you have mm-hmm. confidence in spades and yeah. you know when you really know what you're doing and you can and you can command a situation like that it's so impressive because I'm sure there's so yeah. many different moving parts and you got to be a certain type of of human to be able to handle that type of stress and that's making real. sure everyone's getting everything they need so yeah that's amazing that's real. Yeah, you did. You did say my most memorable um, moment, though. Mm-hmm. I, I will tell you, this was like the scariest moment that I that I've had. Let me see. No, there were there was another moment, um, but this one was most intense. And um, we were flying back on a regular three hour flight from the western part of North Carolina to um, 
uh, back to our home base. Um, and so we're flying and it's, we're under night vision goggles. It's dark. We're probably at, I think we climbed up just cause we finished our mission and we're just getting back home. So we probably climbed up to like 5,000 feet or so um, where we usually fly about 1500 feet. So at this time we climbed up a little bit higher and um, we're heading back. And then there's a storm between us and home. And so we're like, okay, we knew that the storm would be between us and home, but it's moving to the East and we're coming from the West. So we'll come in behind it, you know, depending on um, how fast it's moving. So we, we were looking at that, but on our way back, that storm was kind of lagging as a barrier between us and home. And so we're like, okay, what we'll do, we'll traverse it to the north. There was plenty of room to go to the north to get well around the clouds. You can see it very clearly under night vision goggles. And then we'll come back down to the south and come and land. Um, and then by the time we land, it's probably going to, the storm will probably be over the airfield. So we're going to get on the helicopter wet. So we're like, we got to get it and go. <laughs> so we're, um, so we're flying around it. We're like, okay, we see, we see the clouds. We're like well north. We got the the radar. So we're very much aware of where the storms are. So we're going north. And um, I'm flying with a with a high time helicopter pilot and instructor pilot. And this was probably in my first year and a half out of flight school. So I'm still I'm still pretty new and um, we're going and I'm like, okay, so we're going to, he's like, all right, so we're going to just go north and, and then um, we'll turn to the right. I think I was on the controls. No, no, he was on the controls. I was sitting in the left seat. So usually the person in the right seat in the controls, and the person in the left seat is um, talking on the radios and managing and navigating. But then he's like, I have the controls and we can fly from the left seat. So it doesn't really matter. We switch frequently through the fly. So we're going north at this time. He's on the controls. We have a crew chief in the back and um, we feel a big gust of wind and it's a downdraft that has us because we have like, it's one of those just up and downdrafts um, spins at the very corner of that storm that got us and we dropped and everything was just quiet. We're all quiet in the helicopter. We dropped about 2000 feet. I mean, which brings us to about 3000. So it's still, we're still clear because we usually fly at 1500, but in those like, Four or five seconds, we were coming down like a rock. Literally, you holding a rock and you just drop it. Literally, it's pushing us down. And to fight it and pull in power was, was, it's like wiggling a stick that's not connected to anything. Um, so we're like, la, 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 you know, so we're quiet. Um, we're, and so he's on the control. So he just kind of like noses forward and, and to the left to kind of get out of it and fly mm-hmm. out of it versus just getting push down um so we get out of it and we're all quiet so we're just like so we ain't gonna say nothing about that right now until we, <laughs> until we get home safely this is not the moment to be talking about how no, scary that was everybody's butt cheeks are squeezing we're like wow ah. you know, no saying anything um, except just a radio call so now it's just like all right, we're going to go around to the north. All right, I'll make the C-tap call. All right, we're going to land to the pad and then we'll, tr- we'll jump over the fence and then and then that. All right, um, before landing check. You know, we're just going along. Okay, so we don't get to talk about this until we get on the ground because I, I was like, you feel that? You know, like, yeah. I was like, did y'all feel that? Or is it, was it just me? Is it my stomach? Or did y'all feel that that pool, that thing dropped us? You know, the crew chief in back ain't said that. No one's saying anything. And I'm like, maybe it's not the right time to talk about it. That's the only thing I can think about. Yeah, yeah. Why no one said anything. So we land and then unlock the tail wheel so that we can go. And I was like, oh, did, did y'all say? He was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then we started talking and we're like, oh, I felt it. And then the guy in the back, he's like, oh, I felt that too. I was like, whoa, my stomach went up before I could tell what was going on. 
my stomach went up to my chest as I fell lower, you know, I was just like, Ooh. Wow. so that was one of those things of like, just, just, you just clenching your butt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those, like, ah, you know, we you call just, those pucker moments. <laughs> that was a pucker factor. It's a pucker factor. And, uh, pucker factor through the roof. That's Exactly. I'm and so we glad were you guys were good yeah, we I'm were glad good you to guys go. Were high. We, yeah, we were good. We um, once we landed, we were talking about it, and, we, and then we talked about what he did to get out of it. He was like, "So I'm glad that we came up higher in altitude. So dropping that altitude wouldn't, you know, didn't bring us lower than our normal flight altitude. We were still higher than it." He talked about how he like turned out of it, almost mm-hmm. like settling with with power. You got power applied, but you're continually being pushed down. You're just kind of flying out of it instead of going up and down turn turn the rotor disc tilt it out so you can go a different direction so I was like okay so like I'm like learning different things still being fresh to the helicopter under night vision goggles with a storm that's in the same environment so yeah very memorable moment and you're not you're not even underneath the storm and that's why you know they say what, 20 miles away from thunderstorms Mm -hmm. because those... The lightning. Mm -hmm. The lightning Mm -hmm. and the the updrafts and downdrafts can even occur like not underneath those cumulonimbus clouds. They can be happening. Way out. Way Mm -hmm. out. You can get hail tossed from the top of those anvils. Like, I don't want to get... You know, hit by hail in my helicopter. I'd... Exactly. <laughs> no thanks. I would never want that. No, thank you. We didn't have to really worry about that so much out in LA when I was flying out there. We didn't really get thunderstorms like once in a while, but not anything. Mm-hmm. Not anything not crazy. In Vegas. But in Vegas, yeah, flying out in the oh, desert, yeah. we'd get those big monsoon storms. I, I have those some monsoons. I have some crazy photos of just these lightning strikes and the helicopters tied down and I'll have to send it to you. It's my favorite picture I've ever taken. Oh, but you, gotta, you do have to send that. Yeah, it's really, really cool. But I'm glad you're okay. I, I, every time yeah. someone tells me a story on here, I'm like, I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad you're here to talk about it. Um, right. So we what, have we, outcome of what have we learned from these situations? And those are the things that we like to bring to the table um, on the podcast as well. Um, but yeah, no, that's, thank you for sharing. You know, we've all had those pucker moments once you've been doing this long enough and. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're scary, man. <laughs> Down. And we had a, the, a guest, I think it was two guests ago. He was talking about flying up in Alaska and he uh, he was flying at like 500 feet underneath this cloud layer um, over the water. And he said he got this downdraft so hard he thought it was going to be pushing him into the water. And then he got mm. an updraft where he almost went into the clouds. Went and yeah, he there. said it was so drastic that, you know, Oof. he was going up and down 500 feet. Uh, yeah. So there's been some crazy stories about turbulence and such. But oh, I know. Yeah, I can. I feel it in my stomach when you said that. (laughs) But yes, we're here to talk about it. Um, Wow, thank you for sharing most memorable (laughs) stories. I know I'm not going to forget that one. I I felt like I was there with you. I'm like imagining myself (laughs) in the Blackhawk flying in North Carolina and I'm in night vision Mm -hmm. goggles and I'm still new to this. And oh my Mm -hmm. God. (laughs) Do I I talk about it now or later? (laughs) (laughs) This must be spoken about. I feel like airplanes, you know, because they're like so rigid, like Cessnas, like you were saying, mm-hmm. like Cessnas and stuff. Um, I feel like turbulence in there, you could feel a lot more, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It is true. You it's know, the like way, I, it's the surface area, I think. Yeah, I'm, no, I mean, I know what it is, but I, yeah. I mean, like, there's been times when I hit my head 
on the top of like the oh obsessed you know, like and the, stuff. The, yeah, and the ceiling. I'm like, I'm like, well, looks like I better put on those shoulder harnesses on. <laughs> <laughs> Keep me on the seat. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's what they're for. <laughs> I need to get you a helmet. <laughs> but it, you should do like a YouTube video. Where you're like. And that's why I always wear a helmet every time I fly. Yeah. But you should just wear it. I'm just going to get you like a bicycle helmet just to put on when you're flying a Cessna. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have different. I'm going to have like nine different GoPro. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to oh. jump out with my parachute. Oh, my God. <laughs> more and more stuff keeps coming out about that video. And I just can't even... I can't oh, even. God. You've seen that, right? You, the Trevor Jacob. Which one? No, I don't think I've seen oh, it. So this guy decided um, that he was going to uh, have an engine failure, uh, stage an engine failure, basically, over the mountains uh, and GoPro everything, stopped a prop, was like, I have nowhere to land. But he's wearing a skydiving parachute. And he just parachutes out, like step one, parachute out, like didn't even bring out a checklist, didn't try to restart the engine. And now you can see that he has a fire extinguisher stuffed in his pant leg in the video. Oh my Lord. Yeah. yeah. He it was under the pretense of him um, Spreading celebrating his-, his friend's ashes in the air. And then he just let the, he just, and obviously just let the airplane crash itself, like without knowing exactly. where it was going to crash or where it was going to. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, hold on. Is this a joke? No, that's what no. everyone was thinking really, when we watched it. We were like, wait, wait, what? There's somebody yeah. in that aircraft, right? We're like, there's someone in there hidden <laughs> yeah. that's flying. Like everyone's calling for his head on a platter, you know? And, oh um, my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. Now I got to pull it up. Oh, he is crazy. <laughs> The, this is freaking me out. Seeing a plane in the air without the propeller going. That is. Yeah. <laughs> y'all, this is not right. I'm, I'm starting to sweat under my heart. <laughs> this is not right. He's opening up the door. This is not right. Uh-uh. And he just let it crash. Yep. Did he have all of his GoPros just like streaming probably yep. on like yeah. the cloud or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He skydived down to the plane so that he could collect the GoPros. <gasps> oh, my God. He just jumped out. <laughs> Yo, this is, not, this is not right. Hold on. Oh, is he? This was his own GoPro as he's filming the plane crash? Yep. Yep. As he's floating. He. This is good footage, but he is, he is not. <laughs> this, is, this, is this is amazing this is, cinematography. Well done. This is, this is a wildlife refuge or something. He's like, I did it for the gram. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did it for the tube. Doing it for the tube, bro. <laughs> okay. Well, let's uh, get into a little bit more about you because there is like the main subject that I wanted to talk about, which was your new book. Okay. Um, so you are also a couples counselor with a master's degree from UNC Greensboro. That's like so impressive. So I focused on couple and family counseling and, um, that was, that was my main like specialty. They had, um, they had school counseling, college counseling, couple and family, um, and then, uh, clinical mental health. They had a couple of different tracks where you could focus on. And generally everyone, um, had the majority of the same classes, 
But then they kind of ventured off into specifics of couple and family, um, learning about family systems and in types of domestic abuse and couples specifically. Um, and then if it was school counseling, then you, you kind of learn a little bit more on the school track. So that was my my focus was couples and family. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And your new book, Level Your Wings, A Pilot's Guide to Healthy Relationships. Uh, oh that's so exciting you're so um you have so many huge aspirations and look you're just like doing it um which is so cool but like you know why do you think pilots need help with this subject like what you think we're bad at relationships or something (laughs) i mean looking at the statistics (laughs) pilots have a really high divorce rate Uh, aids aviation induced divorce syndrome (laughs) that's what they call it yes Exactly. That's exactly what they call it. Yep. Asian induced divorce. I was like, wait, is that a, that's a thing. It is. But I, um, so what I was doing when I, when I thought of um, writing the book, it was, I think it was 2019. I did an interview January, 2019, I think. It wasn't 2020. Yeah, it was, or no, no, it could have been 2020. Yeah, it was 2020. Um, January, 2020, I did an interview and um, it got me doing the interview prep. I was a radio interview. They called and asked me a lot of different questions, like in-depth background questions. And then they would pick and, and pull what they would talk about on the show. But she was talking about like me growing up and the personality that I have and and different little things, like little childhood memories. I'm thinking y'all just want to talk about me being a pilot. No, they're getting into my in-depth person. And it's, it's interesting that it bounced from me going back to my childhood and how I grew up to me wanting to write a book about couples because talking about all and answering all the questions that she gave me made me think about um, like writing about my life. And then it reminded me that I did want to write about my life, but I didn't want to do that first. And then I was like, I wanted to write about couples first or a relationship book or communication book first. And so then that's when it got me back into wanting to write. So it went from like myself to what I initially had a desire for, which was I wanted to write a book on communication when I got out of grad school because I was thinking a lot of the council, a lot of the couples and the families and the individuals that I see and a lot of their issues are dealing with being able to communicate their feelings, their desires, their reservations, and just speaking up for themselves and advocating for themselves. So, um, so it, it started from that, and I was thinking, oh. Well, we have a lot of principles as, as an army aviator of um, effective communication and offering assistance and directing assistance and you know uh, just just a lot of different techniques that we're that we are groomed to know about and to be able to spout off. And I'm like, oh, I should write a book about communication and link the two. So that was my initial one back when I graduated um, uh, from from counseling for my, my master's degree program. But then once I did that interview, it got me thinking about couples. And I was like, actually, I want to write not just about communication. Communication will be a chapter, but I want to hit on all the other things. And from there, something just like literally lit on fire. I was thinking, oh, this idea, I'm going to talk about pre-flight. Because before you pre-flight a helicopter, you, before you get in a helicopter and fly, you got to pre-flight. You can't just jump in. You got to take the chains off. You got to move the chops, check the fuel. You got to do all these things before you jump into a relationship. 
you can't just jump into it and fly. You need to make sure that the chains and the baggage of that person, the previous person they were with, they got to make sure that that's off. The maintenance is good. Make sure they're healthy. Make sure their mind is healthy. You, know, you got to make sure they got fuel and energy for the relationship. I started like literally drawing so many analogies from every phase of what we do as Army aviators to what I see as a couples therapist. And I'm like, Ooh, ooh, this is gonna be good. Like I literally was like, ooh, I can talk about night vision goggles. How you have a <laughs> you know a forty degree field of view. You know, in the beginning, in the like lovey dovey phase, this is all you see. You're like, they're great, they're this and that. And then when you fly during the daytime, you see all the obstacles. You know, you come up <laughs> out of that tunnel vision of being only able to see everything one color, and you got to swivel your head to make sure you're focused on everything, versus flying in the daytime and seeing it. So like my brain went to every single thing from from checklist when you start up the helicopter mm-hmm. you know from from that jumping into um learning to fly different helicopters me flying knowing how to fly four of them i have to know that all helicopters are not the same all relationships are not the same you know the foundation is there but one has skids one has wheels you can't land this one the way you landed the other one this one has more power this one has one engine this one has two you know learning the difference of them and making that analogous to different relationships and it's just like you can't treat everybody the same and you can't think that this one will fly like the last one and so my brain just Ooh, it literally took off with like glitter <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> yeah, I mean, I never yeah. even thought about that, but now, mm-hmm. but now, when you started talking about, it, I was when like, said, yeah, yeah, the glitter was uh-huh. happening over here. I was like, oh my god, she's right. Yeah. Oh, what about this? What <laughs> yeah. about that? You know, when I'm thinking about um, like how powerful this moment was when I had to determine what am I going to call my book, I was thinking about what do I want to talk about, and there was this one main point, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to say this point that I'm going to talk about is a chapter or if this is going to be sprinkled throughout the entire book. But it made me think about spatial disorientation, which is what happens um, when you don't know where up and down is. And that was an analogy that I wanted to use in the book of when you are in a relationship as an individual, or if you're in a relationship and you're looking at the couple as a whole, one way or another, you may not know where you're trying to be. You, don't, you may not know where up and down is. You may not know um, how to uh, remain level. And so mm-hmm. one of the first things that we do, we're spatially disoriented. You level your wings. Level your wings. You have to yeah. find out where's your reference point. And so that was the thing that I wanted to talk about of how do you get quote unquote grounded, you know, as we would say, <laughs> if we're not talking about flying, but in my, in my mind, in my flying brain, I'm thinking, how do we get back level? Because, you know, the worst thing that can happen is if you don't know where up and down is and you're actually aiming to the ground sure. or if you're inverted or if there is, you're in a turn and there's a mountain there. So you need to level your wings, make sure you climb and, and do all the other steps. Bank pitch um, power. <laughs> Bank pitch power. We talk about um, the same things. We talk about aircraft is in trim and, and you pull the altitude and you call, go to the known altitude, turn for only known objects and you do all the other yummy things. Essentially bank pitch power. But our thing is going to be you're leveling your wings. And so um, the two ways that I talk about it in the book, which is why I call it level your wings. And but the two ways that I talk about it is that one, as an individual, when you are faced with life and it hits you one day, you're on social media, you're scrolling and, and then you're dealing with the comparison factor and you're like, 
I should be married. I should have kids. I should have this job. I should have that car. I should have this much money on the bank. I should be traveling. All of these I should be's and you're not level. Right now, you don't know where you should be versus where you are, where you want to be versus where it's attainable or what's just Mm -hmm. the comparison factor. And so at that moment, you need to level your wings because you could be inverted. You could be in it going yeah. inverted. You could be turned inverted. You could be, uh, you know, in improper trim. There's just so many things that could be happening in that moment when you're doing that comparison factor. The first thing you need to do is level your wings. And what we do is we find our reference point. We have the horizon outside if we're flying visually, or we have our instrument, our artificial horizon. If we're in instruments one way or another, we're going to look at the horizon, allow our wings to be level with it, parallel to it. So we know we're not um, heading into the ground, Um, of course, and then we'll climb. But, but the main thing is what is your reference point? We know our reference point as pilots, but what is yours as an individual? And for me, my reference point is God. It's going to be my history and it's going to be what I have been brought through. So if I'm being faced with, I may not go into grad school or I may not get promoted or I lose my command. If I'm faced with something that is distressing me at that moment, the way I level my wings instead of freaking out or making drastic decisions in order to save my own self, I think about what were all the things that I was faced with in my past that God brought me through when I couldn't see a way? And I have so many testimonies of just the struggle to triumph, to uh, the unknowns, to so many things that it had to be nothing but God. It literally was nothing but God because there's things that we do as people. We're like, well, if you know so-and-so, you can call so-and-so, you can kind of make it away. But I have faith. But then in the back of your mind, you kind of know how it's going to work out. No, no, no. My testimonies <laughs> are when I didn't know. There was literally no way I would have known how it was going to work out. And that's been with jobs acceptance, with job denials, with finances, with money, with career, with college, with, with education, with licensure. There's so many things that I was not sure how I was going to uh, conquer it. Mm-hmm. And God brought me through. So that's what I do as an individual. I look at um, myself. One of the things that I've interviewed a few couples and I've noticed these things as a therapist, what do they do to level the couple's wings? Because okay. we're individuals, we're individuals, so we have to do it ourselves. But when you are in a couple, how do you as a couple level your wings? And one of the things that um, one of my my friends told me that's in a relationship, she said, well, One thing that we do as a couple to level our wings, so to speak, would be remember the worst thing in our past that we were able to get through. And for them, they're not really spiritual, but their thing was what was the worst thing that we were faced with. And for them, it was a miscarriage. They were faced with that. They were able to conquer it. They have four kids now. So it's it's like that happened in the very early stages of their marriage. And now they're blooming and growing. So when they're faced with job layoffs, they're faced with COVID, they're Mm -hmm. faced with deployments, they're faced with all types of things. And what happens? They're like, well, listen, when we thought we were going to both lose our mental health, when we lost that kid, we still made it. So we we can we can make it through everything else. Yeah. And so that's how that couple, for example, levels their wings and calms themselves so they don't freak out for the the next challenge that they're faced with. 
Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think a lot of people will really benefit from your book, um, from what, from what yes. I'm hearing. And I, you know, not just pilots, like everybody, because mm-hmm. it's everybody, it, based yeah. around those analogies, but we all know aviation comes with its ups and downs with the relationships mm-hmm. and we have to uproot our lives so many times mm-hmm. during our careers and chase those hours. And yeah. there's such thing as, I think we've mentioned it before in the podcast called yeah. AIDS, aviation induced divorce syndrome. And exactly, how do we avoid it and maintain those relationships when we're constantly having to be away from our families? So as mm-hmm. a couple's a counselor, what would you say are some pointers you could give people out there who are dealing with those long distance relationships and, and struggles? What would you say to them to help them along their journey? Yes. You know, I was actually in a long distance relationship prior to my husband and I getting married. And um, I would say as a therapist, and then I also give um, a personal experience type of advice. As a therapist, one of the the main things that we talk about is um, not only communication, but um, what did we call it? I guess we could call it fulfilling communication so that it's not a routine type of, hey, how was your day? But you're actually building and learning something together. Um, You're building and learning that whatever that person is an expert in, they're teaching, they're sharing that thing that they love. And the more you share something that you love and the more that other person is interested in the thing that you love, the more you kind of misattribute or not even misattribute, you correctly attribute the joy for talking to them with the joy for talking to them about what you enjoy. So it's, it's, it's reproducing that love that you have for flying or say you're, you're a pilot and you are deployed somewhere or not even in the military, you are an airline pilot and you're gone three weeks out of the month or you're, you're gone two weeks out of the month. During those times, what would you want to talk to your significant other about? It would need to be something that is fulfilling, not just how was your day. And sometimes it's difficult for couples who have, excuse me, who have not yet established that to then establish it now after five years in a relationship, 10 years of relationship, now Mm -hmm. that there's distance that has developed due to getting that new job. So you would then want to create a relationship roadmap. If you're creating a relationship roadmap, you're talking about what was a uh, the most difficult experience you had with money when you were a child like you may have talked about growing up and talking about different things but you have to go back into the person's memory and ask different questions and ask specifics with money or with trauma or with um joy what was the, the 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 best gift you ever had as a child you're getting that person to go back to great memories and you're also learning new things about them that you may have glossed over or you may have forgotten so i would say from a therapist perspective you would want to rebuild that um that relationship roadmap while you're far so you're so it's exciting um and i'll also say talk about things that you are passionate about or that you are an expert in mm-hmm. with that other person If y'all have very similar things, there are some things that are different. So share those different things with them. And as the receiving party of the couple, be interested in that, you know, show interest in what they're wanting to talk about so that you can keep that communication alive when distance isn't, um, is distance isn't allowing you to to have your normal routine. Mm -hmm. Um, As a, as a personal um, advice, I would say is, um, one thing that my husband and I did, we we talked 
on a routine and we did what I just shared with you. But the other thing we did, we watched movies together. We read books together. We, I asked him a million and one questions. Of course, as a therapist, I'm going to ask questions, <laughs> but he, he also asked me a lot of questions as well. So we were newly um, growing our relationship afar. So it was, it was coupled with, Hey, this is a new relationship that's beginning with distance. So the best thing that we can do is talk because we don't have the ability to be physical or be around each other. So we did a lot of the fun things that we like to do together. If I was on vacation, I'm taking my selfie stick so he can see the sunset. You know, <laughs> I'm literally doing things with him. Help me pick out my outfit. Help me figure out what I'm going to eat. And so we just did a lot more of him feeling like he was with me and I'm feeling like I'm with him. Hey, I'm just smoking a cigar. He sent me on the little, and then I bought him a selfie stick too to put the phone there, so you don't have to hold it at a weird angle. So, like, I did all nice. these things to help us in just just the 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 logistics part of of being separate. So, I would say a couple that's dealing with long distance should try both of those things. So, but yeah, I could to- see how you know diving deeper with your partner and asking specific questions about. Mm-hmm. you know, going back to childhood or just, I'm mm-hmm. sure people don't even know how much they don't know their partner exactly. until they start really asking questions. Exactly. You have to ask on that relationship roadmap, go deep. And um, there are plenty of questions in books and uh, lists and things on Google. If you're just Googling in-depth couples questions, you could find those things. And that's how you can get that, that roadmap going. Like, oh, so that's why you chose to do this. That's why you don't like to move around nowadays because you moved around a lot when you were a kid. And not only that, you lost a lot of your friends. And now mm-hmm. this is why you cherish your friends now. You know, so like, enlightening. a lot of those connections. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's why, connections. oh, that's why that doesn't, that's why that <laughs> triggers you. Okay, I exactly. got it, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's similar to what we would do as a therapist to try to figure out and show the patterns, but it's more up to you as the uh, as the partner in the relationship to determine do you want to figure out all the good memories or do you want to dabble into the not so pleasant ones because with that it's going to share like their true feelings about their past or their parents or their their sister and their brother dynamic there's just so many different things that you can talk about that's not just about how's your day or what do you like to do for fun or yeah. what are you going to do today or what are you watching but those shared experiences are huge and um, we did a lot of that together like Sit at you in the car. Look out the window <laughs> with me. Like we were, we definitely felt like we were with each other. Oh, that's good. You gotta, you gotta do the work. You gotta put in the work. You mm-hmm. can't get lazy about it, I guess. Um, that's right. It's one of that's those, right. one of those things. So, um, I think you know, over COVID, people started being more widely accept- accepting of being on Zoom with someone else mm-hmm. and maintaining your family relationships over. Mm-hmm media, you know, using, mm-hmm. using those type of tools. So I think nowadays with this shift in our communication culture, just mm-hmm. in general in the world, I think long distance is being made easier. And now like mm-hmm. the metaverse is coming out, right? And now we can mm-hmm. see each other in virtual reality and hang out at the same virtual bar <laughs> and go, go to you clubs go. and dance in virtual space. <laughs> It's like a yeah. whole thing. <laughs> that yeah, that's going to be another level of staying connected without I, being there. Without being there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be a good thing or a bad. I feel like it's, you know, I don't think people are going to be stuck with their virtual reality headsets on all day long, <laughs> living in a virtual world. Like maybe a select group of 
of a type mm-hmm. of person, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it does everyone say won't, won't transition. I really wanted to ask you about your personal training and accountability coach work. I always see your Facebook stories of you working out like a beast mode. I, you know, I get so inspired. I've been hitting the gym like every day. I was just showing Jose my my new muscles. Mm, Yes, yes. And like, but seriously, I started hitting the gym after like, like recently when I saw your stories, I was like, okay, I'm going, you know, because I mean, I just, yeah, well, because you always look so happy doing it too. I'm always dancing too. Like I'm yep. always just jamming. You just gotta have fun with exuding it. <laughs> positivity. And I'm like, well, I want a little bit of what she's having, you know? I'm like, maybe if I go to the gym, I could be like her. Oh, <laughs> but, that's, that's awesome. So that you're, a, fit, happy, you're a fitness coach mm-hmm. then also. Mm-hmm. So a fitness yes, coach. Thank you so much. <laughs> what did you, when did you start doing that? Five years ago. Okay. Five or six. It seems it's probably a little bit longer, but I've always done like beach body um, videos, insanity, P90X. I've always mm-hmm. loved those, those videos. And so I was doing them forever. And um, every now and then I would drink the the shakes and the protein shakes and stuff like that. And then um, one of my good friends reached out to me and was like, you know, that you being the coach that you are, showing people videos, doing these workouts and having accountability partner is essentially what an independent beach body coach is. And I was like, oh, she's like, so you can do that and you can be a coach and you can help people the same way you're helping yourself in that same manner. So I don't do a lot of um, the first two years. I had a lot of clients and I would meet with them. It was a lot of virtual. Um, so now I do more accountability partners versus me training them to work on specific body parts as I was doing in the beginning. But now we'll do the same programs or um, like if we're doing insanity, we'll wake up and we'll do them together Um, or they'll do theirs and they'll like, Hey, I just finished my workout. Okay. Hey, I'm getting mine in now. So one way or another, I'm motivating somebody kind of similar to what you saw. Like when you see me, it's, it's, it's pouring out that motivation, but it doesn't take much more energy than I'm already doing for myself to help somebody else. And so I do that as an independent beach body coach. So I love that too. I'm just like, I'm leveling my wings all around. All around. <laughs> Man, you're hitting in so many different direct, so many different directions. And mm-hmm. you know, it's cool that you, you know, you have so many different passions and you're doing all mm-hmm. of them, which is also yeah. an inspiration. Cause a lot of people, yeah. they might like a whole bunch of different things, but they get stuck on one thing and you know, mm-hmm. they don't branch out and explore other parts of themselves. <laughs> well, it was so, so awesome to talk to you and get to know you better and hear your story. It's so inspirational. And keep doing what you're doing and, and staying positive and spreading that glitter bomb. All yes. that, that's kind of what I feel like your, what your personality <laughs> is. It's just a glitter bomb. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You guys know what time it is. Top five relationship nuggets from one aviator to another. Let's go. Number one, fight the comparison factor. So fighting the comparison factor allows you to focus on what you actually have instead of what you're missing. Everything outside the doors of your home is going to force you to think about what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. Number two, Create a relationship roadmap that will allow in-depth conversation. You know, you never really know how much you do not know about your partner. 
find out where the road starts. Find out where it begins with desires and fears and firsts and favorites. Go deeper to get that in-depth conversation. Number three, words of affirmation. Regardless of love language, with distance, words can be our only tool at times to close the gap. Show your partner that you appreciate them. Number four, define expectations in your sex life. Now, you know, as aviators, we will not be near each other all the time. You need to determine how you're going to spice it up from afar, whether it's costume play, sexy talk, sexy time, sexy voice, whatever it is. Determine your expectations and allow them to fit your desires. And number five, determine your mission. Where do you want the relationship to go? You know, if you know where you want to go, then you will have an easier time getting there with your partner on the same page. You're going to be in this cockpit together. Let them know where the mission will end. Back plan it so that you can start correctly. Amazing. Lindsay Jeffries Jones, thank you so much for all of your solid advice. Hopefully everyone out there can take that advice and live healthy, happy relationships in this uh in this profession that we all love so much. And um, where can people find your book and when does it release? So my book, Level Your Wings, A Pilot's Guide to Healthy Relationships, will be released this spring. So it will be on Amazon, any type of digital media, it will be there. So you'll be able to find it there. Um, You can also find my page on, on Instagram, Level Your Wings. I'm a therapist, focusing on relationships. I do a lot of fitness and I'm an also, I'm also a army helicopter pilot. So you'll see lots of photos um, on TikTok. It's going to be level your wings as well. Amazing. Thank you so much. And you guys out there, if you enjoyed this episode, do us a favor, hit that subscribe button, leave a review, send us a message on Instagram. You know, we love to hear from you and we'll catch you next time on the forever on the fly podcast. Bye. Bye.